start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna smoke. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. What's up, everybody? This is episode 80, and we got Tom to not shout out. He was close. He was. He I was thinking about it. it. He leaned towards the mic, and I shut him right down. So thanks for joining us. Nick, Tom, and myself are all here. Nope, thank you. And, thanks for uh, tuning in. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we got a little bit of housekeeping. that we Just a quick thing we want to talk about. Uh, it is episode 80, so we got 20 weeks before we reach episode 100. That's so big. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's exciting. A lot of podcasts don't last this long, and we haven't missed a week. That's that that in itself, I think, is just as big of an accomplishment. Yeah, we're eighty episodes in, and we have never yeah. missed. Exactly. I, there, I don't think there's a podcast out there that hasn't missed. Yeah. So we're gonna. We're, and let me just reiterate: we don't have a stockpile. Yeah. This is coming to you weekly yeah. from the studio. Three days before you hear it, it's coming out of our mouths. And we've had a lot of hiccups along the way that would prevent the normal podcast crew from going week by week solid 80 podcasts through yeah mm-hmm. that tech the uh the tech guy's been a little spotty in the past deleting very episodes. spotty yeah. yeah deleting episodes hospitalizations he's, i heard he's an alcoholic yeah, yeah he is that's i think so recovering anyway yeah like two months sober actually <laughs> <laughs> so sounds yeah, we, like we, it's a problem <laughs> yeah. we've been we've been cranking out episodes for 80 weeks now and we do everything we can to bring you guys to the table every week and not miss so we want to do a big episode we want to do something special for number 100 so if you guys could please leave it in the comments get a hold of us on exchange gram any way you feel like getting a hold of us if you see us around town tell us do you know what i want to do on episode 100 hmm. give away that 500 hundred dollar mobile setup i would also love but so, you know what we need to do to y- give that away what tom get it's only a few more patreon members yeah. So spots are filling up quick. We've almost reached our goal of 25. 20. No, 20. 20. That's all we want is 20. Yeah. Once there's 20, we're giving away a $500 stand. And then after that, every three months, we're giving away like all kinds of cool shit. Binoculars, harnesses, all yeah. sort of crazy stuff. And that could happen on the 100th episode if you guys. I mean, we'll do it before if you guys are that yeah. badass. Yeah. But I'm saying like kind of a goal of mine. I want to hit it. Yeah. You know. I agree. So. We're getting close. Spots are rapidly decreasing. Let's do it. Yeah. So 17 cents a day, as Nick would tell you. Chance at a $500 setup of your choice. Tough. To and there's actually going to be some more badass gear out that's available by that time that yeah. wasn't when we made it. So, like, work with us. Like, basically, we're giving a $500 voucher for mobile gear. Yeah. Put it that way. If you want to drop it all on a badass DS point or DS 1.0, fine, do it. If you want to do like a trophy line, Novix is dropping a new stand here tomorrow. Oh, Already man. dropped by the time they're listening. Yeah. So, I mean, options are endless, so let's do it. But yeah, 
We want to hear from you guys what you guys want to hear on the big 100. And let us know sooner than later so we can line it up because, we, like we said, we, we do this every week for Sunday. So make sure you guys let us know who you want to we hear from. We might actually order or pre-record that one yeah. early. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. If you guys Doubt give it. us a topic and we get a hold of somebody, we'll have to re- do that one early. But and, I mean, shoot us anything. I, I I will attempt to get a hold of whoever you guys want. Yeah. Rut Daniels. Ted I, Nugent. I, anyone. Johnny Sins. Yeah. I, I would. I mean, as good as, I mean, if he was a doctor, firefighter, policeman, I'm sure he was I, a hunter at yeah, one point. Yeah. For um, sure. <laughs> you're welcome for that joke. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, just let us know the sky's the limit. I mean, somebody else might set some other limits, but we're going to shoot for whatever you guys want. Yeah. So, So, yeah, get after it. Let us know what you want to hear. And I think that's all we got to talk about before we start talking about something. Yeah, we're getting ready to deep dive into episode 80, which is we're going to do a little bit of talking about um, hunting big parcels and small parcels. Well, Tom would like to do small, medium, and large parcels. Yeah. Um, but a lot of our audience is based in like New York, Ohio, PA. Yeah, so you're, it's a lot. You're hunting a lot of 10, 20, 30, you know, under 50 acre pieces. Yeah, I a guess lot. that's to, for reference before we get started. Or I think we're going to say like 50 and under is considered small. And, you know, that 100 to 1,000 is, I would say, big property. We're not going to. I would say medium. Yeah, but I mean, for, for people around here, like you yeah. find a chunk of a 1,000 acre public piece like that's a big chunk of property yeah. to hunt mm-hmm. um you know that's i think what like a thousand acres is like a quarter mile by quarter mile or something I, so, that does not sound right <laughs> no i don't know I, that's just pulling out of my ass there yeah um, yeah i have no idea but anyways so i guess that will be considered medium like a yeah. hundred to a thousand and then frank and i have s- some experience and tom has some experience hunting big property um, when it comes to turkeys and stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, just tens of thousands of acres that we've been on hunting in different states, but yeah. So we we kind of really want to, and a lot of people that like are Midwest hunters, they have access to thousands farms thousands, that are ten thousand yeah. acres, and that's just not something that people in PA and Ohio, New York, we Can just really don't have to, that. Yeah, yeah. There's even if you could have that, like we just do not have that property. Even yeah. if, yeah, I mean, you just, can get on public land, but hunting 14,000 of public is way different than hunting 14,000 of ag. Yeah, for so. sure. And everything that we hunt right close to home is that 50-ish acres. You know, I have a couple pieces that are 100 to 200, but for the most part, we're hunting 20-acre pieces here and there, or 40-acre pieces. And you definitely have to approach it a lot different, whereas if you have a 15,000 acre farm that you can just do you whatever totally you want with all in one area and still have endless options. Yeah. yeah. And you can prep for it early in the year so much different. And like you said, throughout the season, you can attack it from different angles and move deer out of one area and into another. You're not completely ruining your property. If you mess up a hunt here, or if you, even if you don't mess it up, if you go in and learn something, okay, I don't want to be here. I want to be over there. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to say is I think we've done a really good job at making smaller parcels hunt big. 
Yeah. And I think the way that the best way to do that is adding small food sources throughout the property. It can make the dynamic of the property work a lot different mm -hmm. um, when there's multiple food sources. Yeah. If you're on a 20 acre piece that's got, you know, say two crab apple trees, you're like food sources mean so much in the equation when setting up on deer because like yeah. there's only a few things a deer needs to survive. It's food, water, shelter, and one other thing in the rut. Yeah. You know, like that, that's the only thing that's on their mind. Mm -hmm. And if you've only got one small food source on your property, it's going to hunt small because that's the, one of the biggest parts of your equation. You only have one of. Yeah. So on all of our properties, we put several small food plots throughout, um, obviously strategically placed where you go. Sorry. Uh, we strategically place these food plots, you know, with bedding and prominent yeah, you really have in to mind. Yeah. I'm not look saying at the rest of your property and see what's going to work for it. You don't want to just yeah, randomly throw six food plots out there. Yeah, this is a very calculated thing that, you know, we do. It's not, yeah, like you said, it's not like every 200 yards we put a clover food yeah, plot Yeah, and you in. might have to hunt your property for five years before you really figure out where you want to put these, which, what is the best option. Which is what we've done, too. I and mean, we yeah. added, what, three food plots this year mm -hmm. um, to the one piece. And this one's right around 100 acres, so just to give you guys mm -hmm. a heads up on that. But... Um, Tom and I have two main parcels we hunt. One's 115. Before you get in there, I wanted to just say something real quick. Go for it. Um, I guess, ideally, if you are setting up your property for whitetail, as far as food goes, if, like, like I said, this is a managed piece of property strictly for whitetail, they say the recommended or the, the perfect ratio is 20% food. So if you have 100 acres, you would want 20 acres of that to be food. So and that that's I'm not saying that's food plots. Yeah. Um, if you have an apple orchard, browse, or, yeah, browse uh, an oak flat. Like yeah, that. we're not saying you have to plant that much, mm -hmm. but I think it's important. And what something we've done is breaking that that say say to twenty acre piece, take that two acre percent, like that ten percent, and space it across your property. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say you've got like a little apple orchard over here, don't make an acre and a half food plot on one end of the property and call it good mm -hmm. and hit your 10%. Like yeah. do some smaller plots with turnips and clover and different things. Yeah. Then it'll hunt a lot bigger. Like you were saying, because if you've got three people that want to hunt this a hundred acre piece or 50 acre piece, you can send someone over here and someone over here and someone over here. And you're, it's, you're not wasting two people's time because, oh, the deer are just going to filter through their bedding and over to that one food plot in the evening. Yeah, which I think a lot of people like us have access to, you know, 20, 40, 60, 100 acre pieces. And it's the whole family that hunts it. Yeah. And when you've got one field to sit on, you know, or, you know, one bedding area, like bedding area is a whole other thing. Yeah. But um, I think we've targeted putting food sources on property and it's really helped in just breaking them up to give more opportunities on a small piece. Mm -hmm. So I don't... I, it's been, I used to be more tuck myself away into the thick, but I've noticed I like to be closer to food. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't always sit right on food, but I like, yeah, that's more of a situational thing for me, depending on the time of year and yeah, just the piece in general. It's, that's another one of those things you really just have to know your piece. And, it's, it's always part of my equation on where I end yeah, up, for but sure. how close I see. And that's another thing, even with a small piece it's that food source just because you put all those food plots doesn't mean you're necessarily sitting on all those food plots. Yeah. It can just be a part of an equation. Like, you know, 
instead of maybe you have a buck that it's a mature buck that's only coming out right at the crack, like right before sundown and you put a small food plot not far off his bedding, you know, it could potentially get him up earlier because he's still deep in the woods. He can stop browse a little bit and then move on to a bigger field. Yeah. Or if he's coming out, like you said, right at dark, don't hunt the food plot. Yeah. Back up closer to him because he's going to get close to the food plot and then wait. He's going to sit in that staging area. Yeah. So don't hunt the food plot. Just back off of it and, like you said, hunt that staging area for those more mature bucks that are a little smarter than every forkhorn that wants to run out into the food plot at 430. Yeah. Get a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a lot of those. Makes for a fun hunt. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, I'd like to see them. Um, I think if – so I guess we're – it's tough for us to talk too much on public property because that's just not our style, especially Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Like we hunt public when we leave the state, but Pennsylvania – We have a lot of public There's a ton of public. But it's since we are at home here, we have so many private pieces that we can access. Which I think you can – anybody can drive around and try and get access to property. Mm -hmm. Like Tom and I – and I know you're the same way, like spend a lot of time in the summertime just going door to door Mm -hmm. trying to get permission on other properties. And Tom and I have also even – what we try and do is if you get permission on one or say you own a small parcel, do what you can to work on getting the properties that connect. Yeah. Um, you know, those turkeys, uh, the first morning Tom and I got last year were, we were sitting on a neighbor's property that he gives us permission to sit down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to say that we couldn't have killed him in the woods like we did the next day. Well, we were but, on the property line. Yeah. But he gave us permission. Into his field. Yeah. yeah. He gave us permission to set up decoys and do our, his thing there. Um, and then the property we hunt here in Pennsylvania, we have permission to be on the properties beside us. Mm-hmm. It just, and, and, and we work with them too, you know? Um, and that's it, definitely another thing that you want to think about when you have your small piece, you have your 10 acre slice out of the whole square. Look at what's everyone else is doing around you. If all of your neighbors just have, you know, if they're not hunters or if they are, if there's farms around you, that will drastically change how you want to set up your property if the neighboring 40 acres is all just thick nasty bedding well you don't really need to have a bunch of bedding right there on your property you want something to pull them out of the bedding and or or if there's nothing but corn around you don't waste your time planting corn beans yeah they're not gonna leave 100 acres of corn to come to your acre acre and a half of corn yeah doesn't make sense they're not gonna do it so you just got to be smart. And I think uh, Owen Zimmer brought up that last year when we talked to him about like putting your, setting your property up with what nobody else in your area has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes your property seem a lot bigger as far as from a hunting standpoint when you incorporate, whether you have permission or not to be on other pieces, but if you incorporate other pieces into your plan. Yeah, just by from e-scouting. Yeah. If you, just because you can't say that your neighbor is an anti-hunter. Um, and he just happens to have gorgeous bedding on yeah. his property. You can still utilize that property yeah, as part of your set equation. Set up the food on your property and hunt, you know, the, try and figure out which way the deer are traveling through there and set up on that. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a really good point, you know, using other parcels, like learning other parcels around you mm-hmm. um, to make your property seem bigger when hunting. Uh, one of our buddies I know, he gets permission just to shed hunt properties Mm -hmm. he has no intentions of hunting it because he knows he can't get that permission but a lot of times you can get permission to shed hunt and what he's doing is scouting it yeah he's looking for the bedding he's looking for food sources looking for travel corridors and it Mm -hmm. helps him plan 
his hunts on properties he can hunt. Yeah. So that's another, that's a little pro tip is if you can't get on there to hunt, see if you can't look for shed antlers. And that's another, that's another point he makes. He doesn't shed hunt. He asks to look for shed or he looks for shed antlers. Mm -hmm. Um, he lives in a very liberal area. You can't say hunt. Yeah. So ask the coyote hunt too. Not many farmers will tell you, no, you can't hunt coyotes. Yeah. And it just gives you another opportunity to scout a property Mm -hmm. that borders yours. Tom and I have, our onyx is littered with little markers for access for coyotes. Yeah, definitely. So, well, Nick, how did we want to jump into this? Well, we already jumped in. Uh, that I mean, <laughs> that's uh, more like our small. What were you saying? I was gonna say that was like food plot talk. We didn't yeah. really talk about. Yeah, I guess yeah. That's prepping parcels and prepping for the season. Um, I guess another thing for me too, uh, which I'm not a master at this. We should probably bring Scott on to talk more about cameras and how. Mm-hmm how we effectively using cameras on big parcels versus smaller parcels. Um, I think a big thing is f- like, if you're on a smaller piece, I feel like food sources is more, it's going to generate a better idea of what you've got versus mm-hmm. like, if you're say on public and you've got, you know, t- over 10,000 acres, like it's tough to go to a food source. It's more, mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, it's more travel corridors, I would think. But again, I don't hunt big parcels. So maybe we need to talk to somebody that, Mm-hmm. does that because um, I've never set up cameras on big parcels before no That's I've hunted I, big parcels but I've never it, it, everything I do on big land is all e-scouting or once I'm there just a little bit of driving around or when I'm hunting walking around it like when we were out in Nebraska we were hunting I don't even know how many it's over a hundred thousand acres where we were at but so it's more small parcel I'd yeah say. so they start doing square miles instead of acres. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we were, it was basically all e-scouting beforehand. And then we got out there and the whole time I'm walking through the woods, I'm assessing everything and still e-scouting while I'm there, just looking at different spots to see what I want to go look at. So de- e-scouting has definitely really, really changed out of state hunting for everybody. I think a lot like I think you can use the e-scouting to almost break a big parcel into smaller parcels mm-hmm. which I think and I don't know if anybody else does this but I know I do because I'm so used to small parcels. Yeah. I I was going to say I, I think it's just because that's I, what we're used yeah, to. I'm so used that's to how sm- we try to think yeah, about them. I'm used to small parcels. I've done well on small parcels so when I do venture out into these bigger parcels what I will do is I take the map and I break it up into small parcels essentially mm-hmm. and very quickly <laughs> what you got going on over there it's like spilled beer all over his shirt and he's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, anyway so i break it up into smaller more manageable parcels to look at basically and quickly go over if i see see different things like you know if i see bedding in one area or, you know, maybe a food source deep on there, like yeah. work with that instead. Yeah, because of- looking at 100,000 acres is intimidating and there's no way you're going to effectively look at all of that. Exactly. You have to, you almost have to break it down if you're going on like a short trip. If it's yeah. property that you can hunt all the time, then you can work it differently. But if you're going out of state for a week, you can't effectively look at all those areas. So you have to break it down and look at hundred acres here, hundred acres there, or a thousand acres, you know, you, yeah. you have to make it manageable for your time if you're going out of state. 
Well, I mean, that's how when you and I went to Ohio and when all of us went to Ohio for turkey hunting, Mm -hmm. basically you, I mean, as as broad as it gets, you first start with what state do you want to go to? Yeah. And then once you narrow the state down, it's like, what part of the state do you want to go to? And then Mm -hmm. when you get to the part of the state, it's like, what state forest do I want to end up in? Yeah. And you just keep breaking it down into manageable chunks. Yeah. And eventually you get down to, okay, we've got three days. I'm going to spend my three days on this 500 acres. Yeah. You know, and the first day is going to be a lot of walking and looking like boots on the ground. Let's solidify what I saw on the map. Yeah. And then the next two days is just balls to the wall, you know, actually we got lucky enough to get on birds first morning mm-hmm. and we pretty much just hunted that our on our way through yeah but i think a big part of hunting big parcels is breaking it into small chunks yeah definitely um and i know for me personally even my setup i think is going to change now that like i've because I, I gave a fair shake at a saddle i am not one of the gurus that's like screw hang-ons because saddles are better. I don't believe that. I think that both of them have their time and place. Yeah. And I think for those big parcels where I have no clue where I may end up, I do like my saddle for that. Yeah. But when I'm going to any property that I know Mm -hmm. and I know that there's a tree, like the majority of the trees I can get my lock on into, Mm -hmm. I'm taking my lock on because I think it's more comfortable and I move less in a lock on. Yeah. It's not that your saddle is uncomfortable, but I know I personally move way more in a saddle mm-hmm. just because it's just easy to pivot. Yeah. You, you just get bored. And yeah. It's like when you're sitting on a bar stool, you start kicking your feet or whatever. Yeah. You, you Spinning just, it in circles. Yeah. yeah. It, it's the exact same. That's a perfect example. Yeah. So, Tommy. Yeah. I kind of wanted to break down how I hunt, you know, medium parts. Yeah, do it. You've had a lot of success on those medium sized parcels. So when I think of medium parcel lands, I think of our hunting camp. And let me tell you, I know that property. Um, so when I go up there now, um, it's kind of like just going to Old Faithful. Like where the deer were last year, they're going to be there this year. They're going to be there next year. They're going to be there the year after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, going into it green, I think the best way to go about it is I don't really like to spend all of my time walking throughout the woods that I'm just getting ready to hunt. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that puts your scent all over the woods and lets the deer know, okay, something's up, especially mm-hmm. if it's in an area. Like when I hunt public land, I like to hunt where other people aren't hunting. Uh, so I like to, go through something like when we were turkey hunting it was like we crossed three ravines to get to our first spot just yeah, so a body of water is a, a good barrier swamps so if you're like hunting that. an area that people aren't typically there's not human scent in that area i don't want to walk all over the place putting my human scent in that area because then they're immediately going to know okay something's up what i like to do is very first night i like to sit in a spot it doesn't have to be an open field um, but an open field works just an area where you can see a long ways in well, observation set. Yeah. All different directions. So like day one, I'll sit in a open field or, you know, a big flat Oak flat where you can see, you know, a couple hundred yards in every mm-hmm. direction. And I mean, the goal that day is not to put an arrow in something. The goal is to figure out where these deer are coming from, where they're going, Um, and then, so like day two, you say, okay, you know, last night 
most of my deer came out of this bottom corner. So then you go down to that bottom corner and maybe tuck yourself in to the woods, you know, 40, 50 yards and go from there. You kind of chase the activity. You mm-hmm. know, you, you set up where you can see and you can, okay, this is where they're coming out. You go down to where they're coming out and then you hone in a little bit closer and you keep getting closer and closer. And that's, I think, a really good way to hunt a new piece of property that you're not familiar with. Let me ask you this. That applies for like any size chunk, really. Yeah. Um, you carry binoculars when you deer hunt? Absolutely. So do you, how much do you binoculars play into, um, your planning when you're sitting those observation sits? Like, are you somebody that will glass for hours while hunting? No. Like an observation? No? no. Okay. I didn't know like how far, cause I know a couple of the places at camp you can see, I know one stand in particular, I can see deer at 700 yards. Yeah. I and, know exactly what you're talking. Um, but no, I'm not. I'm not the guy that's got the binos up to his eyes the entire hunt. I'll pull the binos out, you know, if I see movement or if I see a deer. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a pretty good uh, sense of sight. I don't need binos up to like a thousand yards. Yeah. <laughs> so anything outside of that, then I break them out. But put your reading glasses on for anything out that far. Yeah. yeah. Get the bifocals on. I'm good at picking out movement. Um, but my eyes tend to lose focus really easily. Mm-hmm. Like when staring at like trees and stuff, I just, oh, no. I can, everything very, looks get, like a deer. Every deer starts to look well, like a I tree. Just, yeah, I just get, my eyes just get blurry. Like I just, yeah. my, they like lose focus quickly. Um, see, I, I don't have good, that problem. If I see a deer, I'm home. It's like it a on. tractor beam. Yeah. Oh, I see. I can, I can spot the movement really, really well, but if that deer doesn't move, and I stare at that spot within a minute, my eyes start getting all fuzzy. Once so I, I lock in on that deer. That's what the binoculars help me with is I, they don't get fuzzy because I can literally just focus the binocular right in on it. But I also, you, I don't, I think Frank, I know you do, but I don't, Tom doesn't wear a bino harness. They do. Really? Yeah. So your binos are like strapped to your chest all yeah, day. Oh, okay. Chest. Okay. I didn't realize you did that. Yeah. But, Cause like, that's another thing. Like I used to just throw my binos in my backpack and then strap my backpack to the back of the tree. And then you see a deer and you're like reaching around the back of the tree. Trying exactly. To get your binos. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. Yeah. So uh, it was like two years ago, I started carrying them in a harness like right mm-hmm. on my chest. So yeah, mine just have a little, it's like a book bag strap type deal that I wear like backwards from how you'd wear a book bag. Gotcha. I got a T&K one. It's pretty nice. But. So that's how I go about it. But, you know, if... And like I said, if you're hunting a property that you know, um, like I know our hunting camp pretty well, um, and usually I hunt a week there in the rut. I'm not going to go up there and scout, you know, two days of my hunting. I'm like, this is what happened last year. I'm going to, instead of wasting a day or two scouting or walking all over the place, get putting my scent everywhere. Deer are very patternable Mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. Like... If you find an area with a big buck and you shoot that buck, the next big buck's going to move into that area. Mm-hmm. I don't for whatever reason. It's because big bucks there's a, there's a few things that they need in a spot that they bet in. And every buck needs those things. They need to be able to see and smell from pretty much every direction. Um, the least amount of like blind zone that they have on that bed, the better. And that's what makes those big mature bucks live mm-hmm. and when the big mature buck gets killed, 
the next big mature buck that's in that area is going to take over that spot because he doesn't have to compete with that big buck anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know like, especially at camp, you've got, it's consistent. Like big bucks are going to be where they were last year and the cameras prove it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that helps, like we were saying before, it helps shrink your piece. And that's basically the goal that you want to get out of everywhere that you hunt, no matter how big or small it is. You want to shrink it down to a 20-yard radius, 30-yard radius. Yeah. And the more you can do that, the more effective that you can do that, the better. Because you got to get it within bow range or if it's a rifle, you know, within a couple hundred yards, whatever. But everything you're doing is to hone in on the smallest piece of land you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I'm... you were saying with, you know, you got a thousand acres up there, but you don't waste your time scouting 800 of it. You know that this 200 acres is always producing the biggest bucks. Not to say that they'll never be on that other 800, but you yeah. know that in the rut, the majority of your time needs to be spent on this 200 acres. Yeah. And then but just can, to, oh, I just want to reiterate, cause like it might, it might get a little confusing how we were talking about making your property hunt big when you have a small piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you're taking that small food plot out there. So yeah, the property itself, when we say it hunts big, it's more to allow more people to hunt it. You yeah. have You're more still, of those twenty area or twenty yard radiuses yeah. that you yeah. want to go. That's, I just wanted to clarify that because it, if you weren't, I guess, like if you weren't thinking the way my brain and your brain was working, you could easily think like, wait a minute, they said they contradicted that a lot. Yeah, no, yeah. what we're doing is setting up more opportunities for those small radiuses. That's what we meant by yeah. that. So, just wanted to clarify that. Go what ahead, were Tom. you gonna say, Tom? <laughs> Give me like. You go on about something real quick. You forget. (laughs) And I'll be right back with you guys. (laughs) Right after these brief messages. Uh, N&T Brewing. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So you you can even do this on Onyx because I I think this is pretty cool. Um, Just to show like how consistent whitetail travel is throughout the year. If you come across a scrape, mark it on Onyx and like the date of what it is. You go back there the next year, I guarantee that same scrape is going to open up year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it at camp a lot where the same scrape line, even like the same licking branch, yeah, has a scrape underneath it year well, after year after year. Scrapes are not uh, like single deer specific. No. There's not a single scrape out there that is like just one deer uses it. That's It's a scrapes it's a are it's a, it's yeah. a community it's a way of communication between deer so just because like my dad last year i had located a few scrapes i bet you those scrapes were there the year before oh yeah i know but probably what, why you were in that area yeah well, exactly i knew the property knew that there's usually scrapes in that area so i did do a little bit of scouting but calculated it wasn't just like aimlessly walking mm-hmm. all over the property putting scent on i was heading to a spot to hunt but very diligent about where I walked to see some things essentially Mm -hmm. um saw that those like Tom said those scrapes that have been opened in the past were hot at that moment at that moment um so I told my dad about it he went in next morning killed that buck Mm -hmm. those scrapes are going to open up again next year guaranteed it's not obviously not going to be that deer because that one's dead and it may not be a buck you want to shoot but there will be a there will be bucks checking those scrapes around the same time next year. Yeah, exactly. So like Tom said, mark them on your Onyx. Even I like I marked them uh, shed hunting this year back in March mm-hmm. um, on properties. If I see scrapes, because that's a really cool thing about shed hunting, is you know you've got the heat of the rut in November, and then it snows like a bastard up here. Mm-hmm. It preserves 
everything the way it was Under back in snow. November. Yeah. So when that snow first melts and you come out there for shed hunting, the scrapes that were hot still appear almost hot. Like they're very, there's no leaves on them or anything. Like it looks open. It's very easy to pick them out in March. Yeah. So I mark them all and then I will, I guarantee, you know, back like towards the end of July, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check those scrapes. I'm going to see if they've started to be come used again because not all scrapes get used throughout the year. Like certain yeah, scrapes some just will get hit early the, summer. Yeah. yeah, there's certain scrapes that are open year round. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'm basically new scrapes that I mark. I always go back and check, you know, in July and see like, okay, is this a community scrape that opens up year round? Or if it's still cold, I'll know that, okay, this is going to be opening up more closer to end of October mm-hmm. um, at that point. So just little stuff like that. Yeah. You definitely have to pay attention to all the little details of, especially when you are hunting smaller pieces, you need to know how deer are getting in and out at what time, what time of year so that you can, because most people in our area, like we were saying, have access to a bunch of 20, 10, 20, 30, 40 acre pieces. So if you know that this 10 acre piece doesn't heat up until the rut, don't waste your time there in early October. Yeah, don't pull your scent everywhere. Yeah, go somewhere else and hunt another 10-acre chunk that is hot early in October because different spots are hot at different times of the year for like 1,000%. Yeah. That's Yeah, well, and that was actually last year when I was shed hunting. I was marking those scrapes out, and as I was coming out of the woods, I ran into a, a lady that lived across the street, and she asked what I was up to, and I told her I was shed hunting and whatnot. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I, I have deer every night you know, they come out of behind my house and head into that field that you just walked through. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, they're, I mean, they're eating all my bushes and everything. I'm like, Oh, like, do you have like a problem with deer? And she's like, yeah, like I, and they're, I'm like, well, I'd love I, to help I you hunt. And so I, I actually got permission that morning from her, you know, mm-hmm. she's only got five acres, but I'm down. Like that's those it's five more acres. Small that you can parcels hunt. are my bread and butter. Like that's yeah. just what we work with. So now I know from her that, you know, I was, I was walking across a 300 acre piece. She's saying that these deer come out of her backyard and cross over into it. Yeah. I just narrowed my 300 acre piece down to a little tiny section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went in there, started trying to find some beds. Um, I've definitely found some heavy deer trails. So like, it's something I can set up on try out this year. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's definitely nice to find those small pieces and, I've definitely noticed in our area when you do have those small pieces, a lot of times deer do feel more safe in those small pieces because they know no one's going to be bothering them. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tom used to have that property um, that he hunted a lot, and I think it was only eight acres maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And we had some stellar bucks up there, and it, like, just an eight-acre piece, but it's surrounded by you know, a lot more timber mm-hmm. um, and we, a lot of heavy hunting pressure around that piece. Yeah, exactly. It was a heavy hunted piece that Tom only went into you on know, a Northeast wind, yeah. which sucked because <laughs> how often do you get a Northeast wind? But you yeah. take an eight acre piece, Tom put a food plot up in the middle. Now, all of a sudden you've, you've taken your eight acre piece, you put a small food plot, you make that 20 yard radius a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Deer feel really safe because everything's heavily hunted. Yeah. Um, and it worked out for Tom. So mm-hmm. he doesn't hunt it anymore, but it, I mean, you can take that and apply it to any small piece. Yeah, for sure. But So I guess like the basic thing that you want to do is set up your property so that it's as big as possible for pulling deer in and then set it up so that it's also 
as small as possible so that you can get an arrow into something. Yeah, it's, you basically you want to set up a lot of small opportunities. I yeah. think is probably the best way to you want to set up as many small locations on your property. Mm-hmm. And if that if you have a large piece, you don't need as many. You can, like you said, focus in on a small portion yeah. or portion. I was thinking of parcel and portion at the same time. <laughs> Came out portion. Uh, but yeah, then you have like your small pieces that we just load with small little areas, little food plots. Mm-hmm. And another, if you are fortunate enough to have, you know, over a thousand acres, I know a lot of people that manage property will set aside, you know, X amount of land as a sanctuary where under no circumstances, it. you don't, unless you're obviously tracking a wounded deer, but you don't turkey hunt that area. You don't shed hunt that area. You don't deer hunt that area. That area is totally left alone, so no human scent gets in that area. Bucks and doe feel totally comfortable in that area, and you just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And just That's hunt huge. the outside. Yeah. So if you are fortunate enough to have that much land where you can sacrifice... I mean, how many bucks have been killed in the last five years within 100 yards of that sanctuary? Yeah. I mean, a, like A lot of them. Yeah. So it just goes to show like you don't have, like it's not if you have, like you said, if you're fortunate enough to have that kind of property, it's good to set off a few acres and just make it the sanctuary. Obviously it has to be, you don't want to pick, you know, a field with a two acre pond and call that your sanctuary. It has to be the right setup. It needs to be thick, nasty property for the deer to feel mm, safe. With the and, right stuff yeah, around You can't it. pick out yeah. like a big like open field and say, Oh, that's the sanctuary. We don't go near it. Yeah. Don't like, hunt that field. Yeah. It's gotta be calculated. Right. But yeah. That's, a, I mean, I would say, yeah, that's a wrap I, think on things. We, I think we nailed it. Um, like, so we're trying again. I just, if you guys were getting real close to a hundred, 20 weeks is going to sneak up on us really quick. Yeah. So it will. we want to do something big for you I guys. Bet 20 weeks will probably bring us into archery seat. I bet Five we'll be months. in. Yeah. So we'll be in. No, no we'll it's gonna be, be it's gonna be rifle. it's gonna be like muzzleloader. Yeah, but still, it'll sneak yeah. up on whatever us. You, like whatever you guys want. We I can't guarantee we'll do it, but we will try. We're definitely gonna um, try. And who knows? Maybe we'll just we could if we get like some a couple really good ideas. We'll just release a few badass episodes like all in week one hundred. Yeah, I don't care. That'd like, be great. We're doing it for you guys. So whatever you guys want, you tell us, and we will do whatever we can to make it happen. For sure. Uh, any uh, anything closing remarks from Tommy Boy over there? No, I think good? we nailed it. All right, you know it's it's hot out there, but make sure you guys are all still getting outside. <laughs>